0: This is The Big Jump, a podcast about human reinvention, featuring pro athletes who have leveraged their athletic minds for success beyond sports. I'm your host, David Gardner, a professional basketball player turned CEO of branding firm ColorJar. Welcome to The Big Jump, a podcast about human reinvention. As your host, I sit down with a professional athlete to uncover his or her athletic mind and how that serves them as they create success beyond sports. All I can say for you about this episode is, wow, you are in for a real treat. Brooks-like is a force of nature, and I'm not talking about on the hockey rink where he had a 14-year NHL career. His very being is a force of nature, and I can't wait for you to feel his energy on this podcast. I gave a friend a sneak peek listen and she said she got goosebumps and listened to it twice. Uh, I almost didn't want to tell you that because in my experience, expectations minus reality equals happiness. So I hope I'm not overhyping it. But the bottom line is I can't wait for you to experience Brooks and become as excited about him as I've become. This interview with Brooks was just five months after he was cut by the LA Kings playing a sport that was all he'd ever known. We sat down in L.A. as he's made Hollywood his new home with his wife, Julianne Huff.
1: I've done that for 15 years, but now my life's in a different stage and I want to give more and I want to serve more. I don't have the answers, David. I want to be superhuman and do it all. First and foremost, though, comes my wife and my family. Have you ever heard
0: someone so enthusiastic about not knowing what they're doing next? It's so much easier to hop on a podcast or post stuff on social media that's the personal highlight reel or looking like we've all got it figured out. One thing I admire about Brooks is his ability to be open and being in the question of what's next and being so enthusiastic about it. This man's mindset is contagious. Well, at least I hope it's contagious because I want more of what he's got. We talk about his upbringing in his small town of hockey crazy Wowoda, Canada. We cover his decision to turn down college scholarships to pursue his dream of playing in the NHL. You'll learn about what he considers to be his three workouts of the day, which are likely not what you'd expect. He takes us through being cut from the NHL on Thanksgiving Day, including his surprising reaction to the news. And we get into another core part of identity, relationships. He talks about surviving long distance for three years and how he and his wife Julianne have now found their way in a relationship where both people are driven and successful.
1: So we had to learn to navigate this. But what you learn is that I need to promote everything that makes her happy and support her in her career. And she needs to do the same for me.
0: You'll learn about Brooks's and Julianne's charity, Love United, which was built to change its own identity over time as it grows. And finally, you'll hear Brooks go through my five questions to ask yourself before pursuing a new path that I developed for a guest lecture I gave at Northwestern University. If you're listening while driving or perhaps juggling fire, don't worry because everything and everyone discussed is all for you on the website with comprehensive show notes, just go to thebigjumpshow.com and we've got you covered. Along those lines, I want this podcast to become its best. And I learned from sports that feedback is love and improves performance. So give me some feedback. I want to create better content for you. So tell me what you liked. Tell me what could be better. The Big Jump is on Instagram and Twitter, both at bigjumpshow, And leave a quick review on Apple Podcasts because it helps get the word out about the mission to inspire someone's next big jump. And remember to subscribe if you like what you hear and might want more. There's a lot more in store for season one of The Big Jump and beyond. I want to say thank you to our sponsor, Grand Voyage, a luxury fashion brand and a personal favorite of mine that makes shoes and bags designed in LA and handcrafted in Italy. GQ says they're, quote, changing the fashion game. And I always say, if you're changing up your game, you better look the part. So use promo code The Big Jump for $35 off the beautiful bags and shoes from Grand Voyage. By the way, my favorite item has got to be the blue burnished leather high tops, which are handcrafted in Tuscany, Italy. So go check them out. See what I mean. Yes, blue leather high tops. Go to thebigjumpshow.com shoes. And from there, as they say, the rest is up to you. And with that, I give to you my inspiring conversation with Brooks Like. Brooks, thanks for being on The Big Jump. I'm so excited to have you on today. Yeah,
1: I appreciate it, David. Thank you.
0: Yeah, well, where I'd like to start our conversation is what's your earliest memory playing sports?
1: Ooh, I don't know about playing sports, but my earliest memory of sports is I was about a year, a little over a year old, and I was sitting on my dad's knee. And I remember this. I mean, it's weird to have a memory from a year old, but I remember this. And he was looking through the newspaper and I saw a picture of hockey in the top right corner of the newspaper. And I reached down and I touched it. And my dad said, I even said like, "Hockey." Like uh, as a kid, like you don't know the word, but I, it was coming to me and whatever, and that was my earliest. That's my first ever memory of life, but also of was sport. And so when people ask me why did you become a hockey player, and I, I always just kind of answer, it was just sort of in the cards from when I was born. So
0: amazingly young memory.
1: Yeah, after that it goes to like probably seven years old. There's a big gap <laughs> after that, um, but I do, I do. It's, I'm not crazy. I do remember reaching, seeing hockey, and reaching down and touching it. What do you think it was about that that made such an impression on you? I don't know, man. I I actually, I think I'm just lucky and fortunate that it found me or whatever, however the stars aligned, that where I grew up, the people in my life, my parents, the sport and I were supposed to be connected somehow. And it was just in the cards. And that's why I, I feel fortunate. I don't feel like I chose hockey. I feel like I was pulled towards it. And so just very grateful to be able to do it for 34 years.
0: You grew up in Wawota, Saskatchewan.
1: Yeah. Am I saying it right? Yeah, got really it? good, brother. Okay, yeah, good. you're,
0: you're well researched. Like an hour and a half north of the North Dakota border. Yep. Yeah. And what was your house like growing up? It's just, how big was this town? My hometown is about 600 people. And what was your household like in this small town?
1: Siblings, parents. House was great. I mean, I had I had the greatest childhood ever. I mean, I have great parents, my mom and dad, Harold and Jane, so influential as you know, parents are in a life. And they just amazing parents. Uh, I have an older sister, Jody, who I just absolutely love. Just a great spirit. Just so much fun, my older sister. And then I have a younger brother, Jordan, which, you know, like brothers is just, it's the coolest thing. So I'm lucky to have both a sister and a brother. But growing up, our we had a normal house, I think about fifteen, eighteen hundred 1,800 square feet. I'm not even sure how big it was, but we had a great house. And the best thing was the basement was unfinished. Mm. So an unfinished basement meant that I could roller skate down there, I could shoot pucks around, we could play with balls down there. So from the time I was born, and then my brother was two years later, we played hockey in the basement all the time. We wore out the knees on every pair of pants we had. Mm. Um, We roller skated, we because the floor was just cement, there was no carpet, no furniture, it was just drywalled, And we could just shoot anything down there. So we lived down there. And that was part of the reason why I turned out to be a pro hockey player.
0: So, you're bouncing on dad's knee, one year old, reaching for hockey in the newspaper. You're in the basement running around with your little brother, yeah. uh, playing hockey. Did your parents put you into kind of peewee hockey at the youngest possible moment? Did you start right away?
1: Yeah, I started public skating very early. I started skating when I was two. And up there, they just put the, they're called bobsled skates. It's just two two blades and a velcro piece that goes over it and they just put it on your winter boots when you're a kid mm. so you have two blades on your left foot and two blades on your right foot and they're like bobsled track and uh, you basically just walk around on the ice and that's how you get used to the ice it's like training wheels it, for skates yeah, almost exactly yeah. yeah it's perfect and so kids get used to being on the ice and you get used to falling and getting up and and then once you're three or four you can get down to the single blade and actually get a pair of skates and then when i was five i started playing organized hockey But actually, my mom, my dad played a little bit of hockey. My mom would figure skate. And my mom said, if you're going to be a hockey player, you're going to learn to skate properly first. So when I was five and six, she made me take figure skating. So I also played hockey, but I also took figure skating. And that was a big part of my development. I learned the proper skating stride. I learned balance. From your mom? From my mom and, and figure skating. I learned skating forward, skating backward, pivoting. Crossovers, all of this, which is taught in figure skating, where you're just working on the technique, the basic fundamental of skating, hmm. um, and not worrying about having a stick or a puck or other players on the ice. So that was a huge part of my development. Something I'm very thankful of this this day.
0: How hands-on were your parents with you? It's always I can I don't have kids yet, but I empathize with a parent. You know, you want to encourage and support and push when necessary, and that can be a fine balance. What were uh, your mom and dad, like with you—that's
1: such a great question, David. It's—I—I uh, I actually really appreciate you asking that because I get a chance to talk about my parents now. My dad coached me, so, still to this day, was is a coach for me, but coached me until I was fourteen, until I had to move away from home to play hockey. So not uh, just he was an individual, he was the coach of your team, coach of our team. Wow. Yeah. So I mean, that was amazing, right? So he ran every practice, he was at every game, coached every game and always was pouring knowledge into me. And and I wanted to learn. I wanted to soak it up, everything that he could give me. And he had a good foundation. He played a little bit of college hockey, but was a very good hockey mind. He was a better hockey mind than he was player. Hmm. And that benefited me because he dumped all of that, shared all of that. And even to this day, even after games, I would call him, we would discuss plays, discuss reads, discuss situations, anticipation, stuff like this. So, the, the game has been such a connecting source for our relationship. I mean, I'm so grateful that we have and share the game. The other one we have is fishing. We love to fish as well. So, mm. um, and then my mom, God bless her, my mom never thinks I ever played a bad game in my life. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the greatest thing ever. You have just an awful game, and mom is so proud. You know, she just thinks you did the best, you know. And uh, so that, that was a great relationship to have is that because dad was sometimes critical. Because he mm. wanted you to improve. So there, in order to improve, there needs to be an element of criticism. But it's constructive criticism, but it's still criticism. Still, sure. And, and mom was always supportive and always, always encouraged me. She had a great line, David, and I want to share it. She said, let hockey live inside your heart and let it come out. Oh, it's yes. beautiful. That's when you play your best. You grew up loving the game. Even when I was a pro, even when I was 30 years old, if I was struggling or something, she would call me. She's like, hockey's living outside your heart. Get hockey inside your heart and have it come out through your heart and you'll play better. Oh, it's beautiful. So she didn't know the like, tactics and specifics exactly as dad did, but she knew the energy and, and the passion of hockey and what it meant to me. And she was a big supporter in that element.
0: So you got one hand kind of pushing you, giving you the tough love with dad and yep. the other hand giving you a big hug no matter what yeah. unconditionally.
1: I know. I mean, so like I couldn't fail. Yeah. <laughs> right? So I, I actually did a speech, a sportsman's dinner uh, last summer and I called it my hockey journey. And I looked back and I took an in-depth dive through my entire life on how I got to where I was at that point. At that point, I was 33 years old. And when I looked at it, what I really found was I'm actually really not responsible for the vast majority of my success. There are so many people, my parents, my brother, my sister, coaches, people in town. Like I, we, I said, we had a small town. It's the caretaker that let me skate past hours. There was people, a farmer in town uh, welded my first ever squat rack when I was 13 so that I could begin squatting to try and make professional hockey. Like, And I look back and I said, wow, like, I'm responsible for maybe 10% of my success. The other 90% are, are the people in my life that have touched me. Sounds
0: you know? like an incredibly fertile ground to birth a, a, a great hockey player at what age did you start to think hey I could be pretty good at this
1: when did that start to click for you uh I'd actually like to ask you that question too I mean you were probably six foot two at the age of 10 <laughs> and so you're like okay I'm a basketball player I was good when I was younger because I spent more time with it and I figure skated I did like I was kind of programmed a little to to succeed and then probably when I was 10 and 11 I really was really dominant and that's when I was, I always knew I wanted to be a hockey player, but that's when I was really like, really started telling my parents, like, I'm going to be playing on that TV. I'm going to be playing there. Everything I did in school was talking about like grade five was, was projects about me playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs and which ended up happening <laughs> in real life and stuff. So 11 and 12. And then when I was, when I was 14, 15, and then really when I was 16, I had uh, division one scholarships and my dad was a principal. I had division one scholarships on the table from five or six different universities. And I said, I don't want anything to do with these. I'm going pro. And he's like, Brooks, you could have a first class education in your back pocket for free and then go pro. And I said, dad, I don't want that. What do you think drove that? Because you don't win a Stanley Cup in college. I wanted to win a Stanley Cup. I wanted to play against the best in the world. And I wanted to do, I mean, you move towards your passion. I wanted to move towards my passion and school wasn't my passion. My passion was competing in hockey against the best in the world. And I gravitated towards that. So when I was 16, really was with the cognizant decision to, hey, I'm going pro, I'm burning the boats and I'm going pro. So sort of removing any
0: semblance of a plan B. The degree in your back pocket, sort of like... I'm going forward.
1: Yeah. And it created some interesting conversations at home. And there were times where we sat around like mom, dad and I, we sat around the kitchen table and they were like, what happens if you don't make it? And I was like, guys, just trust me. I'm going to make it. And then dad was like, what happens if you hurt your knee or blow out a knee? And I'm like, I'll rehab it and then I'll be fine. Don't worry about it. And they must have thought I was crazy. I mean, really, they're they're grown adults. I'm a 16 year old kid. I don't know what's coming. I have no idea what it's going to take. I just know that I'm. I have the why to get there. I don't have the how to get there, but I have the why. And so they must have thought it was crazy. But luckily they supported it, you know. So I'm pretty fortunate. Does that do you see that in your life
0: now? This sort of I'm going hell bent, full steam with something. Are you are you wired
1: that way? I think I am. And I think it's a bit of ignorance in some ways. I mean, I don't I think it's a blessing and a curse, but I look at it this way, David. I mean, I have one life to live and I want to do everything in the world that I can even think, dream, or imagine. I don't want any less than that. I can't live with any less than that. So that was hockey. I wanted to gravitate towards that. I never wanted to go to plan B or even think of it, plan C or anything like that. It was just, what do I want? Let me throw as much energy and intelligence and effort into getting that and luckily it worked out. Not You don't get everything you want, but it's a long-term play. And more often than not, I had good days versus bad days.
0: So growing up in Canada, I mean, that's that's really hockey country. I grew up in Minnesota. Yeah, yeah you're close. And, you know, Minnesotans love their hockey. Mm-hmm. But in Canada, it's a religion. Yeah. And, and you were good. So I'd imagine a lot of adulation came from that. How did you handle the praise? But also, you know, you've, somehow turned out to be quite a humble, approachable guy. How do you,
1: what do you attribute to that? It goes back to parents again, goes back to mom and dad. I mean, I am who I am, but for the grace of God and for their love. And like I said, I don't take much credit at all for my success. Mom and dad are such role models to me. I learned from them, deflect the glory, take the blame. That's what they did. They always they always did more for others than and never wanted anything back in return they live a life of service and more so than anything they ever told me i saw this so i always believe that well done is better than well said and i saw this every day my parents the way they were in the community the way they helped other people they are very humble people and they always believe that giving is is better than getting and i just saw that man and it just rubbed off on me and it's it's so it's not it's not a credit to me at all it's, it's just the, the environment I grew up in. I mean, I, I, like, I, I can't say enough about my parents. I was very fortunate. That's great. You played nearly 800 NHL games. What one stands out the most? Who? wow, man. What a question. I mean, the first one stands out. What do, is, you, what do you remember? What I really remember is it's really easy to chase something. It's really easy for... My first game, I think I had just turned 20 when I played my first game. Who is it with and where were you? Ottawa Senators against the New Jersey Devils in New Jersey. And I remember after warm-up, the trainer called me over after warm-up. He goes, Brooks, I just want to say thank you. And I'm like, why? And this is our medical trainer on the bench. He goes... I watched you skate around the whole warm up with a smile on your face for 16 straight minutes and it's nice to know that people just love this game and appreciate it. I'm like look at this I'm in the NHL like this is the coolest thing. <laughs> yeah. You think the smile's ever going away you are crazy. <laughs> but then it was it was so unique cuz I was so used I was so I was pushing so hard to make the NHL. And when I finally did and you have it in your hands you you all of a sudden caught it and you don't know what to do with it. You're like whoa I actually got it. Like it, it's easier to chase a goal, and then when it when you actually get it, it sometimes catches people as like a deer in a headlight. So, the, and then the puck drop, and then I'm like, "Whoa, these guys are fast. This is a level I've never seen before." And then it probably took honestly ten games into my career, David, when I when I had won some battles and taken some pucks off some of my favorite players growing up and whatever, and I was like, "These guys are human, and I can compete against these guys. They're not superhuman. They're damn good." but they're not superhuman. I can compete here. And about 10 games in, the novelty of who these guys were wore off. And it started becoming me versus you, us versus you, a level playing field versus me looking at these guys like heroes. You know.
0: So once you had the dream firmly in your hand, was that a moment where then you need to recalibrate to keep the competitive
1: drive? Was it sort of a, a well, now what? No, now it's a, no. I mean, now it's a uh, life's just beginning, man. <laughs> Life is just there's there's pressure to make the NHL. You know, especially if you're a draft pick and you get paid money of a signing bonus before you ever play a game. Like there's pressure that comes with that. So there's pressure to make the NHL. Then there's pressure to establish a role. Then there's pressure to increase a role. Then there's pressure to become a leader, to become a winner, to become a synonymous winner, a person that wins all the time, and to become a champion. And then when you're a champion, there's pressure to stay a champion. So there's just there's just levels of pressure. So it never, like getting there is just one small thing. A lot of people get there. It's can you stay there? Can you elevate and rise and win and win consistently against the best. And so, so you managed to continue for a,
0: about a decade and a half. Yeah. How did you keep your edge? How did you think about staying there where others may not have? Dude, you, ask, you, you really are good, man. You ask great
1: <laughs> questions. Like <laughs> This is so fun already. Uh, uh, I'm having fun too. You're going to make me blush. Yeah. Though. <laughs> I, I reference it. There's a lot of things I could answer that with, David. I reference this, that I cared more. I loved it more. I just loved it more. It mattered more to me. Winning mattered more to me. The sport, I I believe I held the sport more dear to my heart than maybe most. So I was willing to do things longer, stay with things longer, look into more detail. That was a part of it. The other element that I really reference a lot is I I say that throughout my career, I did three workouts a day. This is something that I believe, and I learned this early on in my career, but I really believe attributed to my longevity. My first workout was the rest I got the night before. So that prioritizing sleep, I considered a workout, a training session. So nine hours of sleep the night before. The second workout was nutrition in the morning and nutrition throughout the day. So it was rest, it was nutrition. And then the training element, the practicing and the playing, that came third. I looked at it every day and I said, if I compound these for years, And if somebody's not resting properly or somebody's not eating properly, they might train the same that I do, but they're not going to be able to hang with me for the long term. And so I called it my three workouts a day. And on our panel yesterday, that's where I said, as an athlete, you have to be selfish to get to these certain levels. You have to be selfish. And now this stage of my life, I want to be more unselfish because I'm not playing anymore. But that, I believe, contributed to my long term success as well as just the love and desire to play. You suffered a a serious face injury, yeah yeah while playing Huffle, yeah couple. yeah what happened well there's there's a couple different ones they usually end up with a shot to the face so you take a slap shot or a wrist shot or something in the face. you had one where you broke some of the cheekbones, is that right yeah, I had one when I was twenty, I got hit on the left side of my face with a puck, a slap shot, I was cruising by the net and a slap shot came and I didn't even see it. I was trying to check a guy and a high shot came and just hit me in the face and actually went to the hospital, put an ice pack on it. I couldn't feel the ice pack. Whoa. This was like, it was so swollen and whatever. That wasn't the worst one. The worst one was I actually got hit by a teammate with a puck in practice. I was cruising by the net and a slap shot came and boom, hit me in the side of the face, same side of the face. My, my left side has been beat up and it broke, uh, it broke, three bones in seven spots. And it honestly, the only way I can describe it is imagine if somebody just came along from the side and just cracked you in the face with a hammer is how it feel. I've never been hit with a hammer, <laughs> but I mean, that's how I can reference it, it mm. is something so heavy and hard and it just rattles your sort of skull ended up breaking three bones in seven spots. And then they, I was like, I can still play. I'm okay. Cause it's a long way from my legs. My face is a long way from my legs. I can skate, but the doctor said that you don't have enough support in your face that if you if you hit, like have body contact or get hit, the bones could shift and your eye could droop. And so I had to miss four games for that. And then after that, I was able to there's enough stability, I guess, that I could wear a, a full shield and play. But I still remember when I came back, I would hit guys and I could just feel my face vibrate. And I'm like, wow, there's still something wrong in there. But you're you're just conditioned differently. you you're just you want to win and you want to play, and that's a competitive. Edge and spirit that you have. So
0: and that's the hockey player mentality right there. (laughs) You're like, I broke my entire face and I missed four games.
1: Uh, I don't know, but it's I would have missed none if it was up to me, just because that's you played. I mean, when I I conditioned my my brain when when the schedule came out, I said, Okay, I'm playing every single one of these nights. Regardless of what happens to my body, I am conditioned that when we play, I play. That's my identity. As a player, you know this. As a player, you become your own brand. What do they see when they show up to watch David? When your parents mm-hmm. watch you on TV, what are they going to see every night? And that's the way I approached it. That regardless if I was hurt, if I was sick, if I was tired, my mom and dad watching at home wanted to see the same thing that they always saw. So that my dad missed three days of work in 35 years. So three days of work, he showed up through good times, bad times, sickness, illness, everything. Like He, he showed up. And that was something that always stuck with me, that when we play, I show up and I play. And then you, you never have a crutch or a circumstance or anything to use. So once you get rid of the the, the option of having any excuse, all you have is a result to attain. Hmm. and And you just have to find a way. And there were some tough days, man. There were some really tough days, but... It's a great lesson to take out of that. You know, I think it's easy
0: and somewhat human nature to point at external factors and say, oh, well, I can't because of this or I can't because of that. But as soon as you take that away and bring it back towards personal responsibility and just doing the most you can with what you have. Yep. I think that's really where I have, when I've done that in my life, that's where I've been able to move forward and yeah. become productive again.
1: Yeah. And it's a great lesson. I mean, because it's a slippery slope, right? If you say, oh, I don't play when I'm a little or I'm sick or I'm really sick. Well, then what about when the times get really tough and some, and you, you're a hundred percent, but something doesn't go your way, a call doesn't go your way or a bounce doesn't go your way or your plane is delayed or your skate lace breaks or like there's... You have to be able to handle adversity. so if you if you eliminate any sort of crutch or excuse, nothing can phase you. You take full responsibility for the way that you play. Now you have full power. And now it's just you go forward. and that's you just train and culture yourself. You have to de- develop this, but you're you're almost a soldier that you march forward. That is the only option. There's no retreat. There's no other way. It's not intentions. It is results. You know it's kind of interesting. It is. And it it's a
0: win at all costs, do whatever it takes yeah. uh, mentality that clearly you have an enthusiasm for that as well. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that you're currently not playing. Yeah. So you were five months ago released by the LA Kings.
1: Yep. Tell me about that moment. Oh, Oh, man. So, I mean, as an athlete, you know, as an athlete, you know, you have a shelf life. But you also, you sort of have an internal ego where you're like, I'm going to play forever. Screw you. I'm playing forever. (laughs) But my wife and I have done long distance for three and a half years of the four years we've been together. We got married this summer and we said, okay, enough's enough. We don't want to do long distance. We want to have a couple years together before we have kids. So it's, I'm going to, I'm an unrestricted free agent. I'm going to play with the LA Kings, try out with the LA Kings. If I make it, I play here in town. If I don't, I'm still at home and probably hockey's over. Ended up making the team, ended up playing 14 games, and then on Thanksgiving day of all days, mm. I'm on the way, we have practice and I'm on the way to the airport cuz we're flying to Phoenix to play a game and I get a call from the general manager, which they never call you just to tell you you're playing good. <laughs> you know, if you're talking to your GM there's it's a reason. And he said, Brooks, can you come to the office? And I, he didn't even say it there on the call, but I knew it, what it was about. Got to the office and he said, we're going to let when you When you knew it was with that moment, was that just... I, I was actually hit with a lot of gratitude, to be honest. I knew that was what was going on and I knew that was probably the end. But I was actually hit with... It was, it's really ironic that it was on Thanksgiving Day and I was released on Thanksgiving Day. I shook his hand. I said, Rob, you gave me a chance to play here in town and be at home with my wife. So grateful for you and the LA Kings. So grateful. I loved it. You, you brought joy into hockey. I loved it. It didn't work out, but I am absolutely grateful and thankful for the opportunity. And I shook his hand and I, I truly was. And the irony of it being on Thanksgiving Day, you think, oh, your life ends. You For 34 years, you played hockey and boom, off a cliff, you're released and your career is over. But the thankful part is I get to play it for 15 years professionally. That's three times the average. I come out healthy. The game has afforded me so much. So Thanksgiving Day actually made me reflect on, on what has happened in my life and the quality of my life and what the game has given to me versus just focusing on being released and it maybe being over now. That being said, the next two days sucked, man. <laughs> was, who, was, who, they was, sucked. <laughs> who was the first person you told? My wife. How did that conversation go? It was, it was honestly really, I broke down. It was really hard to spit out. And she came and met me. And then, honestly, the next two days, the rest of that day, and then even the next day, I I basically turned my phone off. Actually, I let my parents know because we were flying to Phoenix to play in Phoenix, and my parents winter in Phoenix. Mm. So I was supposed to have Thanksgiving supper at their house that night when we arrived. So I had to let them know, like, hey, I'm not coming. I've been released. It's probably over. And then didn't talk to them the next day. Didn't really talk to anybody and then other than my brother and sister. Let just immediate family know. And then after that, um, obviously, since I wasn't with the team and the news comes out that they've released me, then friends and people start calling. Then you eventually have to connect. But it was tough, man. It, it still is tough. There's good days and bad you've been through at the end of a career. And you know y- your purpose and your meaning, everything you fight and claw for is all of a sudden taken away from you. It's not like I said, I'm stepping back from the game where there'd be an element of peace there. This is somebody making a decision on your behalf and sort of taking your baby, your passion and pride and joy away from you. That being said, I'm a very fortunate man. I have a loving wife, a great life. Um, So there's so much to look forward to, but still, it's it's an interesting pocket of life.
0: It's understandably difficult and only five months away from that moment that you just described. You're in it, my friend. I know. You're, you're in the thick of it. And I really appreciate you being on the big jump right now because you're in the moment of thinking about, well, what now and what next? And you're going through a lot of change. And one of the things we discuss here is, uh, yes, transitions, but also identity. Yep. You know, your identity was Brooks, the hockey player. Big time. And that's not just as a professional career that started... Sounds like in the basement yeah. with your little brother. Yeah. And so that's a lot of time for something to get grooved into you, ingrained, and, and also reinforced with a lot of adulation from the world outside. Yeah. So I appreciate you being open to just talk about what's it like right now. Yeah. Because other athletes and just other people going through a transition, they're in this moment, this moment too. So on one of those tough days. What do you think about what keeps you moving?
1: Um, well, one, you you always practice gratitude. you wake up and say, "Okay, my life is amazing, even if i don 't get everything I want and I 'm not playing hockey today i have a, I am so grateful for little things. the ability to sleep in a warm, safe, secure bed you know that is like I say that to my wife every night, like I am so grateful to be able to sleep in this bed, so you practice gratitude that's I think first and foremost. And the second, which we discussed yesterday, even on tough days, I believe everything is an opportunity. So I look at my life now, five months after being released, and I have met some insanely incredible, talented, brilliant people that I never would have had the opportunity to meet, new friendships and relationships, new opportunities. I've learned so much information that I never would have got, been able to attend conferences, seminars see a different element of the world. I've been able to travel with my wife that I never would have been able to do if I wasn't released. So, so much goodness has come into my life since I was released. And so you are going to go through ebbs and flows. You're going to miss it. You're going to miss the sport. Steve Young, you know, the, the Hall of Fame quarterback, Correct. Steve Young is a friend of mine and I've had discussions with him. A couple of years ago, we we met through some business stuff and and I, I was starting to think of preparing for the mindset what's going to happen when Identity shifts when retirement comes. And one thing he said to me that stuck with me always, he said, when you're done, appreciate the game for what it was, how it was, everything you did in it, the people you met in it, appreciate the game for that stage of life and then let it go. Don't ever try and replace it. Don't ever try and find something that's going to be better or, or replace it or find those exact feelings. He said, just appreciate what it is And then move on to other curiosities and passions and things that you're in in your life. But never try and go search for an exterior thing to just replace that because you'll never do it. And I thought that was brilliant. And so what I've tried to do is appreciate the things I've been able to do in the sport. But now say that was amazing. I'm not going to find those exact emotions and feelings and situations ever again in my life. But I can find some other ones that are equally amazing and different and new to me. And so that's what I'm working on now. And that's what on our panel yesterday, which you were wonderful wonderful when you moderated it. That's what I said. I've I've paid real close attention to my natural flow in life. What is it I do when I wake up? What do I feel? Where do I gravitate towards? And that's language to me onto what matters and what's important in my life. And so fitness and CrossFit, working out with friends, creativity, business, building a business to give back. I'm moving towards these things naturally. None of them are paying me. So it's not for money, but I'm gravitating towards them. So I'm just listening to that.
0: Another aspect with identity and reinventing yourself, for you in particular, as I think about you in this moment of time, is you obviously grew up in Canada, as we discussed, lived a lot of your life on the East Coast and in D.C., Playing there, and then now you're also on the West Coast for the first time, yeah. sort of you know skating in a new pond, as mm-hmm. it were. And you mentioned yesterday was is when we met on a panel at the Propel Fitness Festival, uh, which my fiance put on as the head of Propel. Kills it! She's Kills it the best. Laura Barnett's yeah. the best. Yeah. And when I walk around this fitness festival, I'm Laura Barnett's fiance, David. Uh, I got gotcha. you right. Uh-huh. And where other areas of my life, people just know me for the things that I've done. Yep. And you've now transplanted into this Hollywood pond. Yeah. And you've chosen to marry someone who is known and has a public image in Julianne Huff. Yeah, What's that like now as you're reinventing your identity for now in the Hollywood world that you've transplanted into where you're not as much to some people, <laughs> Brooks, the NHL player. Yep. You're
1: Julianne's husband. Yeah, yeah. That's that's so much it. it it's uh, one, I love my wife. I just, uh, I mean, you're engaged. I mean, you find your best friend and you just... It's not a competition. It's not a comparison. You support and love and appreciate and admire. That's all it is. But it is funny now. I get recognized as like, hey, I see you on Julianne's page. You're her husband, right? <laughs> not, not like, hey, you played 15 years pro hockey. So I kind of laugh at it. I'm like, yeah, I get that a lot. That's all right. But I'm proud. I'm proud to be you know married to my wife. And it's never about ego. I am so happy. My wife works so hard, as does, as does Laura. They deserve... Everything they get. And so the, the credits and the praise that comes along with how hard they work is absolutely all of theirs. We're just happy to be there and support. But it is it is funny when people are like, hey, I, I see you in her feed. I see you. It's like, well, yeah, I'm married to her. <laughs> 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 but but yeah, it's uh, so a lot of them are fans of different reasons, not because of what I've done, just because of who I'm married to. Uh, but it's funny. I, I have a good time with it. I think you've got to know me that, you know, I'm not an egotistical guy and I'm not comparing against my wife. I would never do that. So it's kind of, it's kind of just fun to joke over. Absolutely. And you knew what you were signing up for, as I did when you, you know, choose, you
0: talk about that best friend, that partner, you know, if you're getting a, a driven, a driven person. Yeah. And who's going to be out there and having their own accomplishments and successes. Yep. And you also mentioned that while you were a, a, a pro athlete, it took a certain amount of selfishness to have success yep. in sort of your, your three-workout-a-day mentality. And there's a rigidity there that's necessary to keep one's edge in, in performance. Mm-hmm. So when you have two really driven people on their own career paths that yep. are both demanding
1: how did you negotiate that in a relationship? Really great question because that was a learning process for both of us. She lived on the West Coast in Los Angeles, I lived in in Washington DC. We were both alphas in our in our lives, in our in our industry, right? I was a hockey player, she was in the entertainment, she was driven, both very driven people. So it was our schedule our way, the way we want it because we want to succeed, we want to go a certain place because that's going to make us happy. Now when we met, we had to figure out how our language with this, right? I went to bed very early because I had to get up energized and train and everything. And she went to bed very late. I ate very clean. I wanted to eat at home so I could control the cleanliness of my food, that there wasn't butters and olive oils and fried and everything on it. And she was a foodie. She wanted to eat out all the time. So we had to learn to navigate this. But what you learn is that I need to promote everything that makes her happy and support her in her career. And she needs to do the same for me. And so it's not about me, it's about supporting and promoting the interests to her and the same that she does for me. So she learned very quickly. It meant so much to me when, when we would cook at home and eat at home. And she would support my drive and my dreams. And in turn, I would love her so much more for it. And it, then I would do the same for her. And so I think couples for anybody out there that's listening that if you're both working or you both have dreams support and promote the other one's dream as much as you can, and they will come back with love tenfold to you and they should do the same for you. If they're taking away from your dreams, I don't believe it's the right person. I believe maybe this, or maybe it is the right person, but maybe the language, maybe you need to communicate differently because I know that if I'm not personally happy, if I don't fill up my cup, I cannot pour love into my wife. And if she doesn't do the same, if she isn't personally happy before she ever comes to me with love, it's not going to last, not long-term, maybe a year, maybe two years. But like for you and Laura, like you need to do the things that make you happy. She, like today, she caught a plane to New York. She needs to do the things that make her happy. And sometimes there's sacrifice there. The other person has to sacrifice. Sometimes there is. But that's the long-term play that then if you are both happy, you just pour love into the other one. And my wife and I figured that out, took some time, probably took us about two, two and a half years till we really, really got in the groove of it. But now we're pretty good with it. Yeah. Yeah. The way that we
0: think about it is we've made an agreement with each other to both push each other and... Kind of comfort each other when needed. Actually, it's a little bit like uh your mom and your dad. Yeah. Right. Like we want to be both of those roles. Or hey, we can when can we see? I'm gonna give you a push because I'm holding such a high vision for you, maybe even higher than the other is able to do for themselves at that moment in time. And I'm gonna give you a push in that way. Yep. And you know, when you scrape your knees up a little bit though, come back and give you a hug. And I also think that you you said this in slightly different words, but When two people who are kind of full and complete on their own come together, I think that's the makings of a a lasting relationship versus this idea of you complete me. Yeah, It's like, no, I'm completed, but let's come together because we can do more as a team than I could do as an individual.
1: Yep. Big time. I I couldn't agree with that more, man. It, It is so important. I think too many people, this is the advice that people ask me about our relationship and how we make it work and stuff. And I think too many people when they're single, pray and hope and look for somebody to come along to save them, to fix them, to make their life better versus putting all of their energy and intensity and thought process into how can I build such an amazing person within myself to offer to somebody? Not what can I get and what can I pull towards me from the outside world? How can I just build a foundation and a strength and and have integrity and build such a trustworthy, loving person to just be able to offer this to somebody. And I think if you do that, you put so much goodness into the world and so much goodness is attracted back. So that was important. That is important for both my wife and I. We both speak that language. The other thing that really helps us, though, is when promoting the other person's thing is... There's also times where I need my wife and I'll tell her, like, babe, my jewels tank is this is my language, my jewels tank is low. Like, I haven't seen you for a week. We haven't had a good connecting night. Or, like, I know you're hustling and you're working, but like, I'm communicating to you that I miss you and my jewels tank is low. And then we'll have, we'll plan a date night or we'll have something where we have time to ourselves and other people aren't around and we're not on our phones and anything like that. And she'll say the same to me. She'll promote the heck out of what I'm doing. Hustle, work, do Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. You're traveling, playing hockey, everything. And then it'll be like, babe, my Brooks tank is low. I just, I need some time with you. Great. I'm here. What can I do? You know? Mm -hmm. So you figure out those words, communication, man, you're in a relationship. Communication is the number one thing we're all after the best relationship ever. Why ever settle for something that's not good enough? Your partner isn't doing something that sits well with you or you don't agree with. Talk about it. It's okay. That's your best friend. Don't talk at them, you know, just talk with them and discuss. Cause you want, you both want the best relationship ever. So it's not easy, man, but it's, it's fun when you have your best friend, you know, when you have your best friend, it's fun.
0: It is. And you know, I think framing it as an opportunity, for this is going to be a vehicle to help me grow. This relationship will be um, is a healthy way to to also approach it, knowing that there will be challenges, but the challenges also promote growth, and those are opportunities in and of themselves. Yep. So, um, you and your wife have teamed up beyond a relationship. You've started a foundation together. And I'd like to hear about that and actually more specifically about it. So one of the things that I've thought about as the big jump has gotten rolling here and talking to athletes is that over the decade and a half, you've shaped your brain in a certain way. And you know, I call that an athletic mind, mm-hmm. which is different than a mindset. I think people can try on a mindset for an afternoon and see how it is. and yeah. then Maybe, you know, it goes away after a little bit. But as long as you did sport at a high level, I believe that you've changed the makeup of your brain itself. And that's an asset that you have and possess. And every athlete has moving forward in Mm -hmm. life. What of your athletic mind has helped you
1: while doing your foundation with your wife? (sighs) Wow. I mean, there's so many lessons that you're just handed, whether you want them or not, amazing lessons through sport you are you're taught resilience you're taught team you're taught competition pressure adversity grit i mean you're taught so many things joy what it's like to achieve a goal all of this but also you you're taught that you are one small piece of something greater And I think that's what's led to like my wife and I, we talked about this yesterday. So we started a foundation called Love United. So if you want to check us out, it's at Love United on Instagram. That's where we are. And we we want to raise money each year to do service projects around the world. Something that's greater than us. We didn't want to call this Brooks and Julianne's. It's not about us. This is Mm -hmm. just about uniting humanitarians to serve people in need. And so we use our names a little bit because we can draw some attention that way. To it, but we wanted to stand on its own as Love United, and at this Propel Collabs Festival, we're they're uniting the fitness community, and they wanted to partner with us because they're all about hydration, and I've drank probably two million Propel in my life, been a big fan of theirs, and so we did this partnership with them, and they're donating a portion of the proceeds from here, from the one in Chicago, the one in New York, the one in Miami, toward Love United, which is building has partnered with Charity Water and is building. Water wells in Africa in communities in need. One of the things I love about Love United is how you've designed it to have
0: a fluid identity. Yeah. In that it's designed that it can help tackle a lot of different types of problems. So you're starting with water by, you know, raising funds that you'll then deliver to charity water and they'll go do the wonderful work that they do. But next year you could have a new mission and the year after that, a new mission. So back to the theme of this talk uh, in our conversation right now, identity, you've sort of built in this fluid identity with Love United.
1: Yeah, it's because we're always changing. I mean, I think a human, I think a, one of the absolute biggest needs a person has is growth. Like that's a need. It's not a want in in your life. I believe in any person's life, you need to continue to grow. And so the reason we called it love united and the reason we didn't pick just a specific say like water united or anything like that is because we couldn't agree on what we wanted to serve like Mm. i was like i want to do something to free sex slaves sex trafficking she's like i want to do something with water and i'm like Mm. i want to build a medical station we i want to build a school and we couldn't agree at all on what we wanted to raise (laughs) money for every year so we're like let's just call it Love unite because we're both about love. I just believe everything is about love and united. It's 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 taking out borders. It's taking out nationalities. It's about being a a global citizen. So love united across the world to serve people that are less fortunate. And that's it. And so this year it's Charity Water. We've partnered with them. Yesterday we we sent off $19,000 that's going to build wells. Just yesterday, the first half of our fundraising went off. So that money is getting deployed and activated and turned into actual wells. Um, and then next year, I mean, we already have a partnership we think we're going to do next year, but the world in so many places is in need. And if we can offer just a small helping hand, wherever we can, hopefully this thing grows to be big and maybe is our legacy of uniting the world in love. But right now we're small, we're trying to grow, but please come check us out. We try and host, we, we host uh, Cycle events where we donate all the proceeds. Cycles helped us donate proceeds to Love United. We try and do yoga. We try and do outdoor workouts. We try and unite people through fitness, which is Propel Colabs, and also through love and then use that to benefit somebody that's less fortunate. There's so many
0: worthy missions and I'm excited to see over the years and stay involved and help any way I can to see all the different missions that Love United tackles yeah. year, year after year, endless opportunities, endless possibilities. And, and similarly for you as a person, Brooks, Right, you're at this moment yeah. where you could pick Endless yeah. personal missions to go on to apply your, you know, rich history and this athletic mind that you've earned for yourself to put towards your next pursuit. I know you have different ideas right now, some athletics, some business. Yeah. And I'd love to run you through a quick exercise.
1: Okay, I'm game. So this I don't is know what is, um, it is, but this is gonna help me for somehow. <laughs> so
0: I've had I've come to many different crossroads in in my life, you know, from hey, do I want to keep playing? pro basketball in Europe or start a business or, Hey, I've got a business going for almost 10 years now. Do I want to keep it the same or do I want to shift focus? Yeah. Really tough crossroads that put a lot of stress. I put a lot of stress on myself. It's actually a choice I realized in retrospectively. I think I have looked at different paths as a, well, I got to make the right decision because there's a right path and a wrong path. Mm -hmm. I actually think that most often I'm in a spot where I'm just picking One good path over another good path. Yeah. So the question is, well, which one do you choose? Yep. So I've developed these five questions Mm. that I've asked myself when making a really tough life decision, a big one. I'm excited for this, man. So I'd like for you to pick, and you can verbalize it or not, but one of the ideas you have in your head right
1: now about where you might go next. Okay. Personal or business, like, uh, because I have two really on the forefront of my brain one is like one is competing and one is a business. Uh, Let's athlete, do the competing. The compete okay. Okay, so this is a new athletic pursuit for you that yes. you're considering? Yes. Yes. So, and
0: you know, for folks listening, I invite you to uh, close your eyes unless you're driving or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah then please don't. Unless you have a an Uber, like a driverless car or right. self-driving car. <laughs> <Yeah. but. laughs> and just listen to yourself. And, you know, kind of read the data inside as I ask these five questions. So hold the new idea, the new pursuit in mind. So question one, do I feel excited? Oh, yeah. Number two, could I see myself staying curious about this for three years? Yep. Number three, will this challenge and push me
1: outside of my comfort zone? Number four. Uh, Am I answering that or are you just running through these? You can answer or you can keep it in. It's up to you. Yeah. In some regards, but in some regards, it's athletics. So somewhat same, but very different sports. So yeah, for sure. Outside. Yeah. If my basic needs were met, would I do this for free?
0: Yep. And the last fifth question is, if this pursuit turns out to be a complete failure, Will I gain new experiences, skill sets, and relationships that will serve me moving forward?
1: Yep, yeah. uh, undoubtedly. I love it, man. Yeah,
0: I'm, I'm watching you while I ask these, and you you seem very attuned and like in line with this. Yeah, like you seem lit up thinking
1: about it. Yeah, the only the only thing is is what it, what it demands of me is am I willing to give it. Do I possess the conviction that it's going to demand of me? Because I did that. I can't go into something halfway. I went all in on hockey. My only question, which the reason I haven't declared that I'm switching and doing this now is because I don't want to just go half in on this and semi do it. But even if I do do that, let's say I do that that, because there are other areas in my life I want to pursue as well. The fifth question is absolutely correct, is that I would still grow. It would serve me. I would meet new people, have new opportunities, even if I only did it half versus doing it fully committed. So
0: the all-in thing, I think, is is really important. It's cool that you noticed that about yourself. I have a friend who plays for the Miami Heat who put this really well. Kelly Olynyk, give him credit yeah. for framing it this way, and uh, another Canadian, and uh, he he said he had this moment in college where. He decided midway through his college career at Gonzaga that he was going to take a red shirt and just practice for a whole year. And that's an odd thing to do. Some people do that as a freshman, but not. He had two years under his belt and he said, I'm just going to work and I'm going to see how hard I can work. And I asked him what got him through that. And he said, well, I just decided that I was willing to work full tilt with no guarantee of an outcome. Yeah, And he had to get comfortable with that full tilt part with Mm. no guarantee of an outcome.
1: And he grew to love the work as a result. Wow. That's such a great story. That's such a great lesson for people listening. I mean, that is it. The people that pursue things, massive things, there is no guarantee. When I was a kid, like I I mentioned this earlier, there was no guarantee I was ever going to make the NHL, ever going to make a dollar playing hockey, anything like that. But I was, I I believe I was pulled and I believe a pull is stronger than a push. I would like in the morning, there's times it's a great argument motivation versus discipline. In the mornings, when I would wake up and I was tired and sore and didn't want to get out of bed, I was pulled out of bed. I didn't push or will myself out of bed. I was pulled because I wanted to explore my talents. I wanted to explore the game. I wanted, so I believe that listen to yourself, listen to what's in your body and listen to what you're pulled towards. And I, I just believe like gravity is a pull is the strongest force. Like it just, when you, when you love something, you're pulled towards it. You just are. Right. In other words, what positive vision
0: are you pulled towards versus what negative thing am I trying to avoid? Yeah. And I think the other thing that you said there, that's worth highlighting is the idea of if I'm not going full tilt, if I'm holding back in some way, like what's that about? Yeah, what about my being isn't willing
1: to just let go and be unleashed towards this vision? Well, that is just the demands. So, so for me, just to be transparent, to to bring the readers into what I just experienced, I'm thinking about competing full time in CrossFit. So, switching from a professional hockey player to a professional CrossFitter. Now, knowing what they'd go through, mm. you're talking about four or five workouts a day for years to get to the CrossFit Games. You're talking about 8 a.m., 10 a.m., 12, 2, 4, 8 p.m. Like these people, and I, I just experienced this. I just did a CrossFit competition two weeks ago with Rich Froning, who is a four-time CrossFit Games champion, and Matt Fraser, who's won it the last two years in a row. I see, I saw, hung out with these guys, what it takes to get to that level. And the only thing I'm troub- having troubles with is, do I want to go back into that athlete mode where my wife has to sacrifice, our travel has to be sacrificed, weddings or time at our lake house, fishing, surfing, these other things that I I love but haven't been able to fully do a lot in my life. Do I want to sacrifice those things again and put those off for a while to fully compete in CrossFit? That's my dilemma right now. I'm not so sure that I do. So I would love to compete in CrossFit and I probably will. I'll do CrossFit, but I'm probably not going into it with the goal to win the CrossFit Games. I went into hockey to win the Stanley Cup. Mm. I've done that for 15 years, but now my life's in a different stage and I want to give more and I want to serve more and I want to be in a relationship and experience. You know, We want to have kids, which are going to demand time and stuff. So I'm trying to figure all this out at the same time. I don't have the answers, David. I want to be superhuman it. and do it all. First and foremost, So comes my wife and my family. After that, at this stage of my life, everything lines up behind that.
0: Well, I love how open you are about this and just being in the question has a certain amount of vulnerability, uh. right? It's a lot easier to you know, hop on a podcast and say, here's how I did it, folks. Uh, yeah. and so I really admire your ability to just be open and say, I don't know, I'm thinking about it this way, but I'm not sure. And here are my reservations and here's what I'm excited about. I think that talk about an ability that could serve you in a lot of arenas of life, like Keep doing that and keep really? being that version of you. And
1: that's going to open up a lot of doors in and of itself. I appreciate that, man. I want to acknowledge that. Thank you. That's very kind of you to say. But also in the last five months, I said I've met and had a chance to experience some wonderful, amazing people. And one of the most impressive things about uber, some of these uber successful people, some, some of the gentlemen and ladies are billionaires. They are titans of industry that I've had the chance to meet. And it's amazing how much they say, I don't know. I don't have the answer. I'm not sure. I don't know where that's going. But I'm going to make the best educated guess that I can. I'm going to apply the best principles that I have, make the best choice that I have with a given information. But I can't tell you exactly where it's going. I don't know what's going to happen there. And you see that, that these uber successful people acknowledge that they don't know. And it's across a bunch of industries. And I've started to see this pattern. I'm like, wow, these people aren't superhuman. They aren't God. They just do the best with what they have to work with and they pay more attention than other people. They find a way to win. They have other intangibles that elevates them, but they, a pattern throughout all these people, they would say, I don't know. And it's okay.
0: It's a great pattern to pick up on. I think people often want to, and I've found where I've wanted to say, oh, this is how it is. And I know yeah. how to do this. And I think it is healthy to to open up and treat life a little more like an experiment. Yeah. And um, not as a mechanism of detaching, but just more like a a little more like a video game. Mm-hmm. I'm controlling my player. You know, yeah, I can go yeah. to this world. I yeah. can go to that <laughs> that's world. kind of neat. <laughs> I'm the constant in it, right? And just yeah. treat life a little more like an adventure and yeah. let go. That's been a mechanism that's helped me. And hey, I'm going to try that out. And yeah. maybe it'll work and maybe it won't. But even if it doesn't work, what will I take away from it? Yeah. Will it be a worthy adventure to go on, even if it's a shorter one than I may have planned?
1: Absolutely. And you know what? I've learned a lot of this from my wife. I used to be a guy that thought I knew how it was going to go. This is how it's going to go. And actually, I had a good friend that tell me, you wanna, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. <laughs> That's <was laughs> so good. Go. I was like, <laughs> oh, okay, that changed my life right there. <laughs> um, but I also, I really, I know what I know. But I also, I don't know what I don't know. So I want to listen. One of my greatest, I think, listening is a weapon. You know, you want to grow and develop as a human being. Just ask questions and listen. Get other people's perspective. You are an athlete. You've been through the transition I'm going through. Who am I to sit here and tell you about my story? I want to get your story. Like, I want to I know what worked and didn't work. And even if it's one little nugget or something that can help me, but I just believe I don't think people listen enough. And I believe listening is such a weapon. You can learn so much. First-class education, just listen. That's great. A few rapid-fire
0: questions to bring us to a close. Okay, yes, sir. Um, and this has been an amazing, uh, amazing conversation. So one is, what aspect of yourself are you working on now?
1: What aspect of myself? Am, to be honest, to be completely transparent, um, I am trying to really find what's most meaningful in my life. My wife and my family's most meaningful. Let's leave that there. That's untouchable. After that, what's my purpose on this earth? What is my purpose? I was focused on hockey and winning. That isn't there anymore. What is my purpose on this earth? And it's a really interesting question when you ask yourself, if you fast forward 70 years and you died, what do you want your purpose to have been on this earth? And so I'm 34. I have a chance to create the life I want. I've saved money. I don't need to take a job. What is my purpose in life right now? That's what I'm working on. It's a big
0: question. And I've faced the same one myself. And it's it's almost it was such a big question for me that it was intimidating Ooh, in a way. Like, how do great. I even grab onto this? It's like that question is wider than my almost seven-foot wingspan. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> uh, you know? <laughs> so that's a big question. Yeah. Yeah. And I put in sort of a, a placeholder purpose, which is simply my purpose is to learn and grow.
1: Yeah. And you're so good at it.
0: And well, thank you. And that got me kind of going because I wanted to make sure and I'm still working on the one to get my arms around. Yeah. I think it's something to do with creating. Yep, I, I feel very happy when I create. Yep. But just as a placeholder to keep myself in the game and to keep myself going, it's simply to learn and grow. Yeah. Uh, a, a thing about, you mentioned, hey, 70 years from now, an amazing exercise is to write your own obituary. Mm. Sounds a little morbid at face value. But if you script that for yourself, you sort of alluded to you have the ability now to design your own life. Yeah. We'll start at the end. Wow. And what do you want that to read? And that was a really powerful uh, exercise for me. You did
1: that? Yeah. 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 Wow. I'd really like to read yours. It'd be
0: interesting. Yeah. I'll share it with you. Okay, next quick rapid fire question is where's your
1: happy place? My happy place at home right now, I turned our entire garage into a home CrossFit gym. I don't leave the garage. I was there this morning for three hours already before I came here. That's my happy place right now. And also our lake house. We have a lake house. When we go to our lake house and I get to go out fishing, like 5 a.m. I'm out on the water until like 9 a.m. just by myself. My wife sleeps in and there's birds chirping around. The water is so calm. That That is my ultimate happy place. It's a beautiful vision. Oh, and great question. Fun question. <laughs> last one for you. What advice would you give your
0: rookie NHL version of Brooks?
1: I, I would have said have more fun. Y- you know, as you're an athlete, there's so much like we talked about pressure already coming up that everything, there's pressure with it. But when I really learned, and it comes with a little bit of comfort of having, having earned the the spot and earned your keep there. That you can relax and have a little more of a personality and some more fun and joy in the game versus always being so driven and fierce. Um, when I was younger, I was very driven and fierce. And as I got older, I had more and more fun in the game. So if I could tell younger Brooks that it would be that just have a little more fun.
0: Well, I think that's a beautiful place for us to end. Thanks so much for for all that you've shared. And uh, I learned a lot and I can't wait to see how things progress for you and, and where you decide to, to move and, and that life that you do design for yourself so Brother, thanks so much I
1: appreciate you man this is fun this is great
0: you feel like a teammate yeah, yeah, yeah I appreciate yeah, you dude you're it's great. great where can people find you online if they want to connect with you
1: at brooks like b-r-o-o-k-s-l-a-i-c-h on Instagram Twitter Facebook that's usually where I hang out I'm not super active but I try and I try and post things of value I try and give people value I don't try and post dumb weird random stuff I try and give people value as much as possible Great. Well,
0: thanks for being a shining example of an athlete who is leveraging your athletic mind for whatever comes next. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate your time. Thank you. There are comprehensive show notes and links to everything and everyone mentioned in this episode at TheBigJumpShow.com. If you're listening while driving or perhaps juggling fire, don't worry because everything and everyone discussed is all for you on the website with comprehensive show notes. Just go to thebigjumpshow.com and we've got you covered. Along those lines, I want this podcast to become its best and I learned from sports that feedback is love and improves performance, so give me some feedback. I want to create better content for you, so tell me what you liked, tell me what could be better. The Big Jump is on Instagram and Twitter, both at Big Jump Show. And leave a quick review on Apple Podcasts because it helps get the word out about the mission to inspire someone's next big jump. And remember to subscribe if you like what you hear and might want more. There's a lot more in store for season one of The Big Jump and beyond. I wanna say thank you to our sponsor Grand Voyage, a luxury fashion brand and a personal favorite of mine that makes shoes and bags designed in LA and handcrafted in Italy. GQ says they're quote, changing the fashion game. And I always say, if you're changing up your game, you better look the part. So use promo code, The Big Jump for $35 off the beautiful bags and shoes from grand voyage by the way my favorite item has got to be the blue burnished leather high tops which are handcrafted in tuscany italy so go check them out see what i mean yes blue leather high tops go to the big shoes and from there as they say the rest is up to you this is the big jump a podcast about human reinvention featuring pro athletes who have leveraged their athletic minds for success beyond sports.